KBZE, Booze League Radio is on the air. Booze League Radio. Wiley Withers. The Commish. Stephen Orth. Otter. This is the Boozecast. Broadcasting live from the Booze League HQ. It's better to spend money like there's no tomorrow than to spend tonight like there's no money. Hello, hello. Thank you all for listening in. I am Otter, and with me always is the beloved Kamish. Hello, Otter. So, uh, so again, thank you for listening in. Uh, for anything you've missed in the past, you can always check us out at iTunes. We're also on iHeartRadio now, and you can also go to our website and take a gander at everything we have to offer there at boozeleague.com. Also, for any pictures and hilarious tweets, you can look, look us up on Instagram and Twitter at boozeleague. Yes, indeed, and we have a lot to get to today. Um, uh, it's it's a good show. We have, we have it's jam packed with content, but at the same time, uh, we're kind of focusing on a few different things today. Obviously, we always have news with uh, Stephen the Otter Orth, our intrepid uh, uh, pub uh, reporter, as it were. Um, we're going to talk about the old booze and tug update. We're going to do a double update today. We are a little behind in our episodes, so we're actually one week behind. For the old uh, booze and tug. The old booze and tug update. So we're going to get to both of that uh, real quick. And then we're going to talk about some craft beer buyouts. Um, that's That's been something that's been kind of a bit of a hot button here in the latter half of 2016, going to, especially with Wicked Weed selling earlier this year um, in 2017. So we're going to get over to uh, craft beer buyouts as well and kind of go down the timeline of what happened and when and why it's significant, and um, give us all a little bit of food for thought with that. But all that being said, we got to wet our whistles uh, before all that happens, so... The Beer of the Day. So the Beer of the Day is is from our home state here, Otter, of California. Uh, one of mine and yours favorite breweries, according to our conversations. Indeed it is. Um, and never, it's, it's one of those breweries that both me and you, and we talk about our top five breweries that we've ever had, this is the one that comes up in both of our top fives. Um, regardless, I mean, this, this is the one that we're like, we have no debate about it. Um, there's every, like we say, everyone's got their top three, got it done. It's those last two, it's hard to fill. This one is both in our top threes. We know it's what we want. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, the beer we're going for today that will be our beer of the day is from a brewery from Point Loma. This is going to be Spaceship Earth, American Pale Ale from Modern Times. So um, Spaceship Earth is an American Pale Ale, as I just said. It's got an ABV this year. It's a seasonal beer, so they kind of uh, mix it up a little bit every year. Um, you'll find it on Beer Advocate, listed at 6.2, 6.4. It's, it's, it's kind of all over the scale. Um, this year, Modern Times is uh, listing it at 5.2% ABV. Um Alcohol. It's got an IBU of 40, and the untapped score is 3.96. So we're a little bit above what we normally do. Usually we're like in the mid-threes. Um, we've actually kind of <laughs> stepped it up a bit. It's like it's like a treat. It's a little, yeah, we're, 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 you know. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> we're treating ourselves. And um, actually, just a quick shout-out to Untapped. They just celebrated their uh, 500 million check-ins on dude, their app. So I dude. just think that's incredible. Well done. <laughs> and as long as we're on 
uh, the note of modern times. You know what they have coming up next year, right? You tell me. That's a year away. That's so they've been putting they're putting in a tasting room in downtown LA and also Anaheim, but they're also going to yeah. be building a location that should be open in Portland. <laughs> Dude, they are uh, founded in 2013 um, by Jacob McKeon, uh, who actually was a former Stone Brewing employee. Uh, they now have at their Point Loma facility, it's a 30 BBL brewing facility. And obviously, uh, as Otter just said, they're expanding. I mean, I kind of feel a lot of the breweries that we go over in our beer of the day started 2013. That seemed to be a banner year for openings yeah. mm-hmm. in breweries. Uh, this one being the good one. Uh, Loma Land is their flagship saison. Again, we uh, said that they're from Point Loma. And uh, they actually call their Point Loma facility the Loma Land Fermentarium. So, um,. I'm going to read a little bit about Modern Times here for you. Actually, first I'm going to go over uh, Spaceship Earth. They say that um, their relentless pursuit of the juiciest of hot profiles led to this outrageously tasty pale ale. Big mouth-watering flavors of tropical fruit and citrus explode from the glass, fairly commanding that drinker uh, return to its mysterious hazy depth for further exploration. And the hop varietals, I mean, it's got um, <laughs> a veritable... Uh, uh, Menagerie, Citra, Simcoe, Mosaic, African Queen, and Centennial. This is pretty good. What do you think of this beer? I'm enjoying it. I do like it. It's, it's nice and bright. Not not overly bitter, but still has a lot of flavor. Yeah, another one of the hazy at, ones. At five point two percent, you can drink this for a long, for a, all day. Which which we will be tonight. Yeah, as it were. Another one that's uh, kind of hazy. Looks a little bit like orange juice. Um, I'm in. I'm in. The other one they had that I had recently that looked even more like orange juice was uh, Critical Band. Have you had that one yet? The Critical Band um, from Modern Times? I might have. I don't recall off the top of my head. <laughs> I'd have to consult my sources. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to, you know, I've talked to my assistant. Um, that one's pretty good as well. So a few things about Modern Times. Modern Times website's very interesting. This is... I love Modern Times, as, as I've said many times. Um, I got into them early on uh, in my craft brewing or uh, craft beer um, journey. And the first time I went there, I was doing some business down in San Diego. And I'm like, I'm going to stop by Modern Times. Well, it was like early afternoon, heading downtown. Uh, and I got off at wherever you're supposed to get off. And I was following GPS. The first thing you see when you get off that ramp is this massive porn shop. And it's like, like it is the most obnoxious. It looks like it's something out of Blade Runner or one of these where it's like lights and tits and, hey, come in here for <laughs> anything you need regarding porn. You go around and a few doors down around the back of that porn shop is Modern Times uh, Loma Land Fermentarium. And it is one location, of the... Location, location, location. <laughs> apparently. Go around the back for a, for a saison. Um, it is one of the, the coolest little tap rooms. It's one of the smallest but coolest little tap rooms I've been to. The whole thing feels out of the late 70s, early 80s. Every All the swag, when I was there, I think it was 2014 I was there, all the swag they're selling out of that location, it all looks like it's right out of the 70s. Uh, in fact, I drink my whiskey occasionally, the Downmore 62 when I got it, um, out of a little rocks glass <laughs> from modern times. It has gold uh, ink or whatever, like, you know, like gold etching or it's, they're, they're super, super stylish. I got a lot of respect for modern times on that account. Um, one of the things that comes up all the time, um, why the name modern times? And I did not know until I was researching this beer, 
why they are called modern times. The story goes, why the name modern times? Utopian community built on Long Island in 1850 by a bunch of wild-eyed wingnuts who thought they could demonstrate to the world what a more perfect society might look like. And they called it modern times. They bartered, they lived without a state, sometimes ignored the conventions of marriage, and they put in parentheses, although probably not in the super hot way you're thinking, which is <laughs> guilty. Uh, definitely <laughs> was thinking that. Uh, and generally experimented with creating a less exploitive, more pleasurable world. Naturally, the whole thing eventually imploded when, uh, imploded when uh, Donald Trump showed No, um, uh, when uh, legit wing, uh, legit nut jobs from New York City found out about the free love colony, just a train ride away and overran it. It is now called Brentwood, New York. I did not know. I did not know that either. Like, I always thought Modern Times, you know, I mean, who, there's so many craft breweries that come out, you have no idea where the name's going. You're like, if you researched it all, you'd waste your day. Yeah. Um, no, so that's, absolutely. I'm kind of happy I know that now. I mean, it, it actually makes Modern Times more pleasurable to me. So anyways, um, I'm going to play this a little bit more because we ran out of time here, but Slightly Stupid. Here's why I chose Slightly Stupid as the bed for this beer of the day. So... The guys who started Slightly Stupid back in 1994 Miles Doughty and Kyle McDonald. They were actually going to Point Loma High when they got picked up by Skunk Records to uh, as their record label. Who is Skunk Records? That was uh, Sublime. 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 Exactly. Yeah, Sublime. So they were actually in high school when uh, Bradley from Skunk Re- or from Sublime Skunk Records uh, picked them up. They graduated '96. They uh, I think released their first album like '94 or something. Like it was I can't imagine what that would have been like in San Diego. Saying hey, we're kind of a uh, faux reggae band. They <laughs> they got all the tail, I'm sure. Yeah. But um, they performed at festivals including Coachella, Lollapalooza, um, Snoop Dogg, Sublime, obviously, G Love, who I love, Dave Matthews, Pennywise, The Roots, Oza Motley. Uh, a lot of those make sense. But um, yeah, so this is it. So this is our round one of our beer of the day. Round one. Yeah. I think I'll have a beer. Say my name. That sounds even better during October, doesn't it? It does. It makes a lot of sense. (laughs) So that was our beer of the day. Um, This is out right now. If you check out on the Modern Times website, you can actually look at um, the, the seasonal releases. This is usually a seasonal release for October. So if you're going to try out this beer... Uh, go try it now, because it's not going to be around forever. Not like they're going to release a bad one soon, because they've always got a new one coming that's probably pretty good. But um, with that being said, let's go over to our favorite otter, the otter of all otters, um, with the news. Spanning the globe to bring you all the news that's fit to booze, too. This is the Booze Line News with KBZ's intrepid pub reporter, Stephen the Otter Hall. Booze League Radio. Ah, well. Well. What do we have here? You tell me. All right. So, obviously, this weekend, went down to San Clemente, one of my favorite places. I'm always talking about it. Yes. And, uh... So I go down there, you know, as, as often as I possibly can. Let's take a step back here for a second, though. Okay. 
there was an occasion. Oh that, yeah, that so, led you down there, and that so occasion it was, was the Otter's birthday. Happy birthday, my friend. Why, thank you. And what better way to spend a birthday doing, or just in the place that you just love? So went 100%. down to San Clemente for the weekend, and I have I have my usual spots that I go down there. Like, I always hit Artifacts, mm-hmm. and you know me, you know how much I love Artifacts. I you won't <laughs> shut up about it. Nine times out of ten, I'm wearing an Artifacts shirt and or hat. True. Um, but anyway, so this weekend was unlike any other weekend. Look at me! Of me going down there. I mean, besides the fact it was my birthday and all that jazz. Look but I'm me. I'm at Artifacts and I hear about I hear people talking about this distillery that had just opened up mm-hmm. and it was right across the street. So what do what Swore. do we do? Yeah. <laughs> we walk on over there and we go into what is called Drift Distillery, located right in San Clemente. Drift Distillery, okay. Drift, yeah, like driftwood, but drift. Mm-hmm. So Really, really cool spot. I mean, definitely went in there already having a buzz. So it doesn't get much better than that. They have a, a menu of all these handcrafted cocktails made by their own their own booze. And I was talking to this guy. It's, it's owned by Ryan and Leslie Winter are their names. And I was talking to Ryan for a little bit. He actually took us back, gave us a tour and everything. Nice. And uh, so basically right now they, they do uh, a vodka, a, an, an unaged wh- uh, wheat whiskey, and a rum, and then they have a gin being released soon. Hmm. So one cool thing about this little place, though, and this is just a little random fact, is all the grain that they use um, to make their their spirits come hmm. from their parents' uh, farm, which is located in Kentucky. So, oh, so they bring it all the way. So across they bring the, the grain to... f- from Kentucky to San wow. Clemente, and they do all the uh, they do, they do the milling the mash the ferment the fermenting the distilling and the bottling all from their spot in San Clemente. So they can say it's a Kentucky bourbon and and not be wrong. Uh, I guess yeah, that's yeah. true. Huh. Uh, Interesting. And then also the the tasting room is also made out of like a like a barn from the farm as well, <laughs> which is like yeah, it was like a 100-year-old barn. So what wait, um, so Artifacts is in San Clemente. In San Clemente. And so this is right across this is in so if you wanted to go there it'd be Drift Distillery in San Clemente. It's, yeah, it's literally like a 30-second walk right across from awesome. Artifacts. Or Stumble, depending on where or you went. Or Stumble, yeah. <laughs> You're crossing a, like a pretty major street, though, so you yeah. better stumble fast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, I mean, if you're interested in going down there, uh, their hours are a little wonky, so they're closed Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Mm. Open just for a few hours, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and they're only open for three hours on Sunday. I so. feel like a lot of distilleries, uh, Wine Shine, who is one of a mm-hmm. booze league supporter, and I took the booze hound there for that, you know, right. for the trip I took. And they have kind of random hours on the weekend, like Friday through Sunday. It's kind and of like a we're open when we're open, and right. we close when we close. Sometimes so, as early as eight, but as late as three, and then we're open. You know, like one of those weird yeah. signs. And they actually <laughs> put on the website, you know, open by appointment or luck. <laughs> so, you know, Genius, like, though. You know, I mean, uh, I guess distilleries operate a little bit differently, but um, you know. Yeah, so definitely a cool little spot down there. Nice. Okay, Drift um, Distillery. I drift like Distillery, it. yeah. Um, so moving on. Alcohol. Here, um, something I'm not too familiar with is a uh, is like sake, like drinking sake. Oh, the I, only... thought, I thought you were going to say heterosex. Yeah, you <laughs> would say that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Give me uh, two. No, so like like sake. So uh, w- when do you ever have sake? When you go to sushi and do sake bombs? Um, pretty much, yeah. I mean, I, there was a time in my life where I would have... I actually had a large 
Um, it was wrapped in some type of straw. Like it was, I don't know. It was, it was a big keg of sake that I just had, and I huh. just opened it up, and yeah. and I'd make Chinese food. I mean, if it was Asian, I'd put sake with it. And yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, as you but should. It, but it wasn't good. I mean, I paid like thirty bucks for a gallon of it, and <laughs> I think it's probably cure. Uh, actually, no, I don't know what it was. I don't know. Uh, I can't remember what the uh, normal, uh, the, the kind of base sake is. Pepperidge Farm remembers. Um, can't remember. But anyways, it was the normal sake. Like anyways. rice. It's sake's made from. Well, rice. sake's made from rice, but I mean, they're different levels. Like you get the ones that you would heat up. Uh okay. You know what I mean? Right, and, right, like um, hot sake, cold sake, or whatever. Right, and there's there's one that's like a normal, like it's the most, uh, it's it's the sake that everybody gets when you go. I can picture the bottle, and well, I can't a, remember the name. The, the three type, the three main types of sake. There's a ginjo, uh-huh. which is a like a premium grade. Right. There's also an unfiltered, which they call it nigori. Oh, nigori is great. And you drink that cold. It's fantastic. And then there's unpasteurized, which is called a namzaki. I don't. I I'll, I've I know I've had nigori. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Well, anywho, so so Josh Josh Hembry and who's from Stone Brewing and also Black Market Brewing. Oh, okay, and uh, this other guy Keldon uh, Pramuda pronunciation unsure. I'm sorry if I got it wrong out well, there, and you're right. listening, Keldon. Um, he's also from Stone Brewing as well. They're uh, they're set to be opening up. Uh, it's called Setting Sun Saki Brewing Company out of uh, out of Miramar, so down in San Diego. Really, and uh, so yeah, I was reading up on that because. Like I was saying, mentioning before, the only time I drink sake is when I go to su- sushi and I, right. you know, do like eleven teen too many sake bombs. You're you're not drinking for taste or quality. You're yeah, not you're tasting. doing it for bombs yeah. away. Yeah, you're dropping. You're doing <laughs> sake bombs. Like yeah. there's no respect there at all. So, uh, so yeah, it's gonna be they're gonna be using. So it's gonna be opening in Miramar, and they have a private backer that funded the initial setup costs. They've also opened up a uh, like a Kickstarter campaign to get. Um, additional funding for like their tasting room, lab equipment, and like future on-site barrel aging. So they're going to like be barrel Damn. aging sake, which I think sounds pretty kick-ass. I, I, this sounds awesome. Yeah. This sounds great. And then, um, so yeah, the the rice is all going to be grown and milled in Sacramento uh, Valley, and they're one of the uh, additional Kickstarter wish list items. I guess is uh, their own rice mill that they mm. can have. Uh, but I think for the time being, once they get up and running, they're going to be using already milled rice from Sacramento Valley hmm. and the yeast they're going to get from San Diego's yeast bank called White Labs and basically their their aim is to pay homage to uh Japan while still um putting their own like SoCal style on the sake and uh so yeah they're going to have the, those three grades of of sake that I mentioned earlier uh, previously called Ginjo the other one's Nigori and then Namzaki and then they're also going to release um, additional styles that kind of play true to like the craft beer roots. So they're going to have like a like a dry hopped like IPA style sake, and then also like some other darker like more stout esque st- uh, sakes as well. I love this. So, I love. I, this. Yeah, I think it sounds like a really cool like definitely something that isn't happening yet. Well, it, like it reminds me a little bit of uh, Tin City, who I talk a little bit about in the uh, mm-hmm. the article I wrote. I think we talked a little bit about it as well, but. Um, so you got cider out there, and then Tin City has, if you look at what they're actually making, they have a cider that mimics uh, Manhattan. They have right. these different, and I think that this market, dude, I I really, I think it's great. I mean, yeah. I think that people more than ever want to get into tastings and stuff like that. Yeah. That's that's awesome. I'd love to go try yeah, that. It's definitely like a new, unique idea that, you know. 
Well, um, uh, not a unique idea uh, is round two, which has just shown up. Round two. We're actually doing well. It's a trap. Give me two. Yeah, round two is here. Oh, and boy, is it delicious. It is. I'm really liking this Spaceship Earth. Um, again, Modern Times. I'm, I'm kind of a Modern Times fanboy. Not as big as a Firestone Walker fanboy, but still pretty pretty big fanboy. I eat, I know what I like, and I eat it. You know, and what can I say? <laughs> you know, I, I'll drink it or whatever. Vagina. I was hoping for the dick. <laughs> I don't uh, have that one. I do have one this, like this. Lick, lick, lick my balls. It's about as close as I got. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, no, so another interesting thing that I've that I've uh, kind of been reading up about, and maybe I should have done this story first as it gets a little more technical, and now my brain huh. is starting to feel a lot more <laughs> like mush. <laughs> um, so Coronado Brewing. I got faith in you, man. Thank uh, you. you. Someone's got, got you. <laughs> the otter's got this. <laughs> so... This. Is the Otter's Trail. So a little little backstory. How does how does any like company or brand or brewery like how do they succeed? How do they thrive? Marketing. Bingo. Okay. You would you would know that one. Well done. <laughs> ding ding ding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so another little little backstory within like the craft beer U.S. market, like within like the whole market of like all beer and everything mm. in US there's a more than 3900 new products that are released each year within the craft beer market within the craft beer market wow. so wow. three 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 quarters of that three out of four of so each wait, of wait. those let's go let's go back on that for a second and think about that 3900 new each yeah. year in America so three out of wow. four of each of those are going to be like new breweries or new beers or sure. whatever so i mean that's definitely a large portion with how much like beer is being I've released. heard that half of that was stone <laughs> I mean, Stone probably distributes most of that. <laughs> I swear, like every week, uh, Stone's got a new one. So, so Coronado Brewing paired up with uh, this company, this Norwegian company uh, called Thin Film Electronics, and basically what they've what they've started kind of tinkering with is something that's gonna not really revolutionize the whole you know beer market, but it's definitely gonna add an interesting curve. So, this Thin Film Electronics, they have the uh, the NFC chips, like you know, uh, like the chips that are like in your phone that you can just, like you just tap it to, like, you like do the Apple reader or whatever. With yeah, or, so okay. it's going to be like a contact thing, like that. So they've actually put one of these chips into little custom made coasters. So like you go to the tap room, you know, the bartender puts a coaster <laughs> next to you, and then you can actually use your your smartphone if it has that chip reader. You can like basically tap it against the coaster and it'll take you to you know like different uh like news pages or videos or whatever content that that brewery wants to hit you with that's amazing so that's I was amazing like, oh, hold on that is it's freaking amazing the ingenuity holy shit that just kind of blew my mind a little bit like that is so obviously cause, it's because i mean you go to you go to most most bars or wherever and you know you get the little cheesy card little cardboard coasters that you set one beer on it; it's almost like it just starts immediately disintegrating. Oh yeah, yeah. and you, they get trash or whatever. So these obviously are going to be a little more durable. Mm. Probably going to be more of like a more than one time use kind of thing, like you know, not Damn. just like a use and throw away. But uh, 
Yeah, so basically they they tested it on this new beer that they had. It was called the Coastwise Session IPA, which was a collab that they did with the Surfrider Foundation. And basically they used this coaster as a way to like to have custom to basically get the story of the beer out because they collabed up with Sur- the Surfrider Foundation, which for those of you that don't know what the Surfrider Foundation is, it's basically um like a like a nonprofit organization that goes for um that goes for uh, kind of like helping, you know, like like promoting be- like ocean beach cleanliness, kind of, you know, getting teaching young riders how to like surf and stuff. Um, so basically, they were very this, big at UCSB when I was there back in the nineties. Yeah, so Surf they have, Surfrider has different deal, chapters yeah. all throughout the different communities. So there's like the Ventura chapter, there's like the Santa Barbara chapter, the San Clemente chapter. Um, really cool little organization. Um, but anyway, so they had the Coastwise Session IPA, and basically they used this new coaster IP, um, idea as a way to get the story of the beer out and get the story of the Surfrider Foundation out, and. Uh, so this is where it starts getting a little more technical. So basically the existing tools that they had to contact customers had a 0.2% click-through rate, mm-hmm. whereas with these new coasters over it more than, I don't know, multiplied by 10, it went to 1.5 to almost 2, two and a quarter percent click-through rate with using these coasters. That's, that's kind of so a big deal, especially, you know... Basically like- multiplied... 10 times and that was over seven days and then by the end of the 35 day trial period it was jumped up to almost 17 percent you know what and And that's just like you know just community like reaching the community right right and and i think that that's going to carry on for a while just from the novelty side of it but this is one of those technologies that can become just kind of a um just a this is just what you do like, yeah. you know, your coasters can do this and, and, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I really feel that, um, that, that's, that there's so much potential in that. Uh, that's awesome. That's yeah. a great story. And then there's a way like, so I guess, uh, this, this, uh, what was it? The thin film electronics, that Norwegian company that they partnered up with, they have a plant that's going to be set up in, uh, I think down in the San Diego area area somewhere. And they're set, I think they said, um. Within like the first two years, they're going to be able to manufacture like 2.5 billion chips <laughs> that they can use. So, it's I mean, crazy. You think about it, if other if like other breweries jump onto this, it's kind of like you go places and they have like the little card sitting on the table with that mm-hmm. little square looking barcode, and you just scan it. But this makes it uh, just QR. easier because you just touch your phone to it. You don't have to open up that app or whatever. You just kind of set it on there, and it automatically links. I so. feel like that might be a game changer right there. That's yeah. that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I'm a little jealous I didn't think of it. <laughs> I know, right? Every <laughs> every good idea. idea I hear, I'm like, damn it, why didn't I think Son of that? Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so. That could have made me a billionaire. Yeah, here we are. Um, yeah, I mean, super, super cool little tool. And I'm definitely kind of like stoked to see stuff like that popping up around oh, that's bars true. all yeah, over. That's awesome. And Man, that'll be... Uh, the, the possibilities. You know what I like about uh, in innovations like that is that it actually opens up other markets. So marketing will be able to handle stuff that, like, they, there's a whole new avenue for marketing in that way. Um, you know, design. Just, I mean, that's uh, that's great. Yeah. I love that. So, well, thank you, Otter. Uh, that was Otter with the news. So uh, now we got to move on. A uh, little quick business here. 
Some of you I know have been following along with us online on the uh, the old booze and tug league that we have going with the Unfiltered Gentleman, which you can find at Unfiltered Gentleman or theunfilteredgentleman.com. You can also look them up. They have a great podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker. Just look for the Unfiltered Gentleman. Um, they're a great podcast, but we got to talk to them a little bit about their um, fantasy football. So it's time for the old booze and tug update. We're going to give you a double update this time. Talk I'll- about how good they're doing. Well, you know, <laughs> I kind of want to like I I kind of want to go deep on them uh, and bag on them because we are overall beating them. But week three, we had a bit of a setback. Week three, we were a bit embarrassed. Because, you know, we have Jeff the Guru Gray on our team, who is the guru on, on many levels about many, many things. But he came on as the guru of fantasy football. And we've been giving away the uh, Carlos Erwin Aceves Memorial Award for shitting the bed every week. And on week three, it was the guru. The guru let us down. That he did. Week three. So week three, the results were I was number one. I've actually been number one three out of the four weeks. Just saying. Uh, the higher you, know. you get, the harder you Watch fall. <laughs> Just, um, and what's funny is that uh, both week three and week four that we just had, I got 112 points. Week two, I got 115. So if you can just get 116 points, you're probably going to beat me. But somehow nobody ever has. So anyways, week three, uh, I was leading 112. Tug Jones, who we had on on the last uh, draft. If you haven't listened to it, go give a la- uh, listen to it. Again, Unfiltered Gentleman. Uh, he was on uh, trying to talk some shit. Not that good at it. Um, so we carried on. But he got 109 points. Dan's beard. The beard of one of the Unfiltered Gentlemen got 88 Dan himself only got 85, lost again to his own facial hair. Uh, <laughs> the beloved booze hound. <laughs> gets me every time. <laughs> right. Lost to his own facial hair. Right. Exactly, yeah. Darby uh, got 82 points. Otter, you didn't get as many points as Darby. You only got 78. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a remodel of my team. Okay, all right. You know, who's a Jai? A Jai? A I don't. Even I want to delete right. him from existence. You're so angry at him. Uh, for those of you at home, like, and I might post this. The the texts I get from Otter about that guy, he is so angry about it. Um, Scott, who uh, well, he was projected to get me like twenty points or something, and he got me one. Yeah, one point. It's tough, dude. I know it's not like fantasy rugby like you're used to, but fantasy football can be a harsh mistress. It's not about any of my fantasies. And then the guru got sixty points. So he did earn the Carlos Herman Estevez Memorial Award for shitting the bed, which, uh, you know, I've got. I'm sorry, Guru. I love you. I mean it. Um, but I do have to play this. Winning. Better, better him than the us, Carlos though, right? Carlos Erwin Estevez well, Memorial Award for <laughs> shitting the bed. That being said, <laughs> I did not expect when that award came back to our team that it would be him that would get it. You thought it was going to be you. No, I thought it was going to be you. Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't know, have man. been surprised. Because you haven't done this before, so I figured like at some point you you know something exactly. would happen. I should be getting some good beginner's luck. At the same time, in the back of my head, the first time I ever played fantasy football, I won. So I also kind of feel like you've got beginner's luck, or you're not overthinking it like the rest of us. And anyone who's played fantasy football who's listening knows what I'm talking about. Um, but the guru lost that, so um, he lost to the booze hound. And the reason he got that award, aside from losing to my dog, his entire lineup was outscored. 
by the two guys he had on his bench. The two guys he had on his bench got 66 points. His entire lineup got 60. That is the classic definition of shitting the bed. Um, so as of week three, uh, Booze League was leading overall by 230 points. We won that week by 92 points. Let's talk about week four, because week four just ended. Um, I figured we might as well get this out of the way. Uh, and I got Darby, Darby kicked all of her asses. Darby was uh, had 140 points. She had the most. And second behind her, way ahead of all of us, was Dan's beard. <laughs> so That facial hair. The two teams that, yeah, uh, Dan's beard and Darby, the two teams that actually have no thinking involved in what they do uh, destroyed all of us. I came in 112 again for the second week in a row. The Guru uh, had a better showing this year, got 104 points. Otter, again, pretty good, not bad. You got uh, 86 points, better than last week. Tug Jones, only 84. Scott, 82. And Dan at 77. We won this week by only 68 points. So so basically the only Tug that, didn't, that, that did beat us was the facial hair. Yes. Yeah, we actually swept the unfiltered gentleman this week. <laughs> I kind of feel like we need to give this award to all of them <laughs> for <laughs> shitting the bed. Um, but let's, let's, let's take a quick look at it. You know how I am. I'm a, I like the numbers. I think you know, numbers don't lie. For as bad as I am at math, I love numbers. So Dan's Beard, let's just look at their team. Dan's Beard got 131 points. The closest person on their team to that 131 points was Doug Jones. Doug Jones, 84. 84. Four points. <laughs> Wait, what's 13 minus 8? 50, right? 13 minus 8? Yeah. 5. Oh, yeah. So 50 points. So we got 50 points here, like 131 minus 84, and a difference of 5. So we got like 45 points. Well, Dan's beard. 46. Just under double of what Dan actually did, too. <laughs> That's true. Oh, man, they <laughs> suck at fantasy football. <laughs> oh, lick, shit. lick, lick my balls. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, we got to bag them a little bit when we swept them during the week. But um, so this week, uh, we didn't beat you as, by as many points as we did last week, uh, Unfiltered Gentlemen, but it was 68 points. I can't wait. By the way, listen to their podcast because they do respond uh, to these uh, <laughs> to these taunts. But overall, at this point, uh, uh, week four, we are up by 189 points. Uh, the Charlie Sheen Award goes to, uh, for the second time in four weeks, goes back to Dan. Winning. So here's what's crazy about that. The Carlos Irwin I think he needs Memorial some diapers. Award We've now gone through a quarter of the season. We've gone through four weeks out of, out of basically 16 games per team, whatever. Dan has lost half of the time. Know, man, I was banging seven gram rocks. 50 like lost loss, not just lost, but shit the bed loss. Yeah, he won this award 50% <laughs> of the time so far. Um, he's won the uh, 50% of the time of the first quarter. And Should we just call it the Dan Award for shitting the bed? You know what, honestly? Depending on how many times he wins it this year, <laughs> yes. We're going to put his face on it, um, and it's going to be very, very entertaining. So, anyways, well, that's the old booze and tug update. Um, you can follow us online uh, on the draft page. If you're listening on iTunes or iHeartRadio, go to boozeleague.com, look up uh, Draft 9, 
Uh, it's pretty. It's on the front page. You can find it very easily. We supply a link to um, to the action here on this uh, the old booze and tug uh, league, so you can find, kind of follow along and um, feel free to uh, send messages out to the unfiltered gentlemen on their Twitter, their Facebook, the whatever, and let them know how much they actually are being terrible at this whole fantasy football game. Lick, lick, lick my balls. So, um, but anyways, yeah, check that out online, and uh, we'll move on here uh, to, uh, I believe we're on to round three now, Otter. Round three. Oh, we'll have another. Ping pong. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. Boy, that escalated quickly. That did escalate quickly. All right, so we're moving on here to... uh, We're having issues now because we don't have an Earl. Earl's gone for the moment, getting the adedictomy. Last week uh, when Tug Jones was on, he brought Mrs. Tug. And she was awesome for getting us beers. And this week, it's just me and Otter here. No Melman, our producer Melman. Melman. Is not here. Hello, Devil Hooch has turned her into the unsightly person you see before you. Not here to get his beer. So we, we're kind of on our own, man. This is... Yeah, what is this? It's kind of strange. <laughs> but <laughs> we're making do because the uh, fridge is close. But um, we're going on now to something that um, everybody talks about, and we've talked about a lot on the website Um you can find people lose their minds on Twitter about this kind of thing. We're talking craft beer buyouts. Now, there's a website called VinePair, VinePair.com. It's actually a pretty good website. If you want to check it out, obviously, VinePair.com. Um, they've got some really good articles on there, some very similar to uh, Booze League-type articles uh, about uh, things in the industry. They cover not only craft beer. They cover a number of things. But one of their writers put up the – the article was called The Definitive Timeline – of craft beer buyouts. And he did a really good job of just breaking it down. All right, what happened when and why? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, there's a lot of writing on this page. We're going to get through this pretty quick, though. Um, most interesting to me, when did all this start? When can you say the first craft beer buyout was? And Vine Pair, and I, and I would agree with them, was Lina Kugel, Wisconsin Brewery, back in 1988, was bought by Miller Brewing back before they became Miller Coors. I think that's very interesting. Um, afterwards, Lina Kugel told the Wisconsin Business Journal, we weren't in survival mode for the 70s and 80s, but might not have made it to the 90s. And now Lina Kugel has survived um, as a brand in Wisconsin. And you go to you go to a Packers game or something, you got the Liney Lodge. I mean, they're all drinking summer shandy and 36-degree weather. I mean, everybody in Wisconsin is fully into Lina Kugel. Red Hook Ales. You ever had Red Hook Ale, uh, Otter? I have. I remember drinking those. Like it had yeah. a hummingbird or something on it, right? Oh, that's. Um, I'm not too sure about that. Oh yeah, I'm not either. I just, it it <laughs> sticks out. I just I know that I've had it before. I know that I've had it as well. Um, that was kind of one of the first purchases that Anheuser Busch made, and this is back before they uh, joined with Imbev. They bought 25 percent of Red Hook, and then three years later bought 27 percent of Widmer Brothers and. Widmer was kind of the first half. Most people, when they had a half, it was Widmer's first. And, I mean, I had it because everyone's talking about it. I'm, I'm still not a big... Are you a big fan of halves? 
You know, when I when I first started drinking like beer, really, I was I liked Hefs. I I wasn't I hadn't really tried an IPA that had like swooned me yet. Mm. And uh, I think the first one I had was was Pyramid. Yeah. And then I yeah. and then I had a, a Widmer, and we're talking, on like probably only not even like maybe ten years ago or something. Right. Right. Um, or sorry, uh, six years. Lies. If, if my mom is listening, I had Pyramid, and then I had like Widmer later. And I don't know. I, I was never a big fan of Widmer, though. Like I like I like Pyramid, but then I just stopped liking Hefs really at all. I I to this day still do not like Hefs. Yeah. Um, now I guess we call them Belgians. I, guess, I don't. Well, Hefs. It's all the like Hefs. I'm I believe out. are like just some type of Bavarian yeast, and that's why you get like that kind of banana and clove flavor to it. So then there's like American I'm wheat out. beers. Don't I'm like just it. I'm just not a big fan of wheat beers in general. Yeah, me too. I'm, I like occasionally I like a white IPA, which is an IPA brewed with wheat. Mm. They're I don't know, like a little bit sweeter and a little bit brighter, but I mean. Even I'm not really even into those often either. Right. I've got to be like in one of those rare, rare like kind of like modes where I'm just like, oh, I'm craving one of those. Which right, right. I think has maybe happened twice in my whole life. Yeah, I need um, I need something. I, I need some sparkling to it. I need a little bit of edge to it. So IPAs, pale ales. Um, I'll go malty. Just because I'm I, okay with malty. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, definitely not down. Like especially right now with all those Meritsons coming out, all those Oktoberfest beers. Oh, yeah, I'm in. Sign me up. Yeah, I am all in for those. Um, and then 1998, this is, I did not know this until I researched this article today. Pete's Brewing. Pete's Wicked Ale was the first time I was aware of what was called a microbrewery. You remember, ba- you remember back when craft breweries were called microbreweries? Yeah. So this was the first one I'm like, microbreweries, huh? These are kind of cool. I'll give these guys a little bit of support. Pete's Wicked was the one. Pete's Wicked Ale was one of my favorite beers. I, I drank it all the freaking time. And, you know, I got distracted. I was a UCSB, so, you know, whatever. Um, I moved on with my life. And one day I, I went to the store to try and buy Pete's Wicked Ale. There was no Pete's Wicked Ale. But they were bought by Gambrinus Company. Uh, at the time they were bought, this 1998, uh, Pete's, Pete's Brewing was the second largest microbrewery in the U.S., based in Palo Alto. So this goes, you know, at the time, uh, Anchor was still, back then, Pete's was still the second biggest. I, I'd have to research to find out what the biggest one was at the time. But um, Gambrinus had bought breweries before. In 1989, they bought uh, Spatzel and Shiner. What's Spatzel? In Shiner, Texas. What is it? Or like what no, is what, Spatzel? What, what's the big beer from uh, Spatzel from Shiner, Texas? I, I don't know. Seriously? I've never been to Texas. No, no, but there, there's a iconic beer that you know uh, the, from the Texas. Shiner Bach? Shiner Bach. Exactly. Um, and so that was Spatzel. Spatzel first. Spotzel, whatever the fuck. Uh, you know how I am with German. Uh, sold in 19, <laughs> that we do. 1998. Uh, and then they bought the third one, uh, Bridgeport Brewery in Portland, uh, also at the same time. Now, here's something I thought was interesting. Gordon Biersch first sold in 1999. They only have 35 restaurants in America. You've been to Gordon Biersch, right? I actually don't believe I have. No way. Well, not, they have one in uh, Burbank. 
I've been to a number of Gordon beer shoes. I don't know why I always end up at. But is that the thing that's kind of like a? It feels like a BJ's. Uh, never mind. But they they spot they they seem to specialize in German beers. It feels. Um, but uh, no, Gordon Biersch is great. Uh, closest one to us is uh, Burbank. But I've been to a number of Gordon Biersch's. I don't. Maybe, maybe I've been there. I don't know. Uh, very very good. Um, but they have the same kind of format that BJ's does, where you're like, yeah, you say you're a brewery, but really you're just a like you know really a restaurant. So it's kind of like a like a, a rock bottom or something. We'll get to rock bottom in a second, but yes, I think you're absolutely correct about that. Um, and here is the one that actually really kind of brought it home for me. Brewery Yama Gang, who makes all the Game of Thrones beers, was brought by Duvel Mortgat. Don't even... Just say Duvel. Duvel. Every, everyone knows. Okay, good. Yeah, thank God. Everyone knows that you uh, don't know how to talk. Yeah, I was sweating a little bit on that one. Um, 2003, uh, Brewery Yama Gang was bought. And that's early on, because a lot of people talk about craft brewery acquisitions recently. 2003 was what? We're in 2017. It's 14 years ago, decade and a half ago, basically, that one of the the major craft breweries that still operating fairly well today. I mean, you know, you got three philosophers from Brewery Goma Gang, um, what Fire and Blood, or any of the Game of Thrones beers they've done. Um, a lot of people don't really think of Brewery Goma Gang. I mean, they think of them as not a craft beer, but they don't think of them as macro beer. But that was 2003 that that deal happened. And now we're starting to get into some of the kind of like little movings that set up the market we have today. So 2004, Portland Brewing was bought by Pyramid, who you mentioned earlier. Uh, Four years later, not much happened between 2004 and 2008, but four years later, Pyramid was bought by Independent Brewers United, who owns Magic Hat Brewing. Funny story about uh, Pyramid Brewing. Do you remember? uh, So I'll tell you probably about... The worst beer that I'll actually ever to admit to having a phase where I liked. Okay. It was that Pyramid Apricot Ale. Oh, 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 really? Yeah, I was obsessed with that stuff. It's like you're being picked on in the fifth grade. Basically, yeah. I Man, I loved that beer. That's no good, man. And then, yeah, and then I guess I just started liking good beer and stuff. What the hell, Otter? I don't know. Come on. Now Now I would take, like... I don't know. Tastes like an abortion clinic in Iceland. Like a PBR to one of those, but... <laughs> Even that. It just tastes like something that would be a product of the gypsy curses. You're all terrible, dude. Um, hey, I'm <laughs> just, you know, just just putting out a little, little, little insight. No, you, you know, know what, though? Like, I like your self-reporting, and I appreciate that. And I, hey, I, I promise to you that I will self-report as well all right. when it comes to, to shitty beers. Because um, I went to UCSB and look, we drank whatever we could get our hands on. <laughs> it was there's some shitty. It's a shitty beer palooza up there at UCSB in Isla Vista. Um, <laughs> so all that happened, and then this is going to be important in a little bit. But I'm going to mention this real quick. In 2010, Independent Brewers United was bought by North American Breweries. This was the first instant of a private equity firm buying another one or an investment firm. So essentially, you didn't have a brewery buying a brewery. You had a bunch of guys saying, "Hey." That market, that craft beer market, or I'm sorry, the micro, probably microbrew market at the time, that's worth getting into. And so you had some people that already owned something, and then these other people said, hey, we're going to own you now and because we know that you own these breweries. And that's kind of the first instance of that happening, and that's kind of a big deal. Um, in 2010, and this goes, we actually published an uh, article about uh, Kona Brewing getting sued 
by those crybabies. Uh, we're not even going to go into that. We can go into that later. But um, 2010. So Red Hook and Widmer, like I mentioned right off the top of this segment, partially owned by AB. Right. Uh, it's 2008. Okay. In 2008, they got together and formed the Craft Brew Alliance. That same year, AB, who owned a portion of Red Hook and Widmer, sold out to InBev, who also owns Stella, for those who don't know. I mean, everyone knows. If you're listening to the show, you probably like craft beer. You know AB InBev. So in 2010, a few years after they formed the Craft Brew Alliance, they took Kona Brewing and rolled that into Craft Brew Alliance. And it all became one big thing. So it sounds crafty, but it's pretty much owned by AB InBev. Um, I think 30, yeah, 30%. InBev now owns 30% of Craft Brew Alliance, which is over what the standards are for whatever the Craft Beer Association says. I think it's 25% or more. But um, let's be honest. They, they only own 30%, but they control more than that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, since uh, since AB InBev owns that, does that actually make it the Craft Brew Alliance? It might. Oh, do. No, it's Craft C-R-A-P. HT Alliance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that. I could get on board with that one. Alliance. <laughs> craft <laughs> Brew Alliance. Oh my god. <laughs> so um, 2010 also, a lot happened in 2010. This is where we start to see the wheels start to move in the industry. 2010, uh, I'm just gonna say this name, no one will know who it is. Center Bridge Capital Partners bought Rock Bottom, who you mentioned earlier. Oh yeah, I did. This is the second purchase, like the second significant purchase by investment or private equity, again, happening in 2010. So 2010 is when you start to get some notice from these investors who have nothing to do with craft beer. They're sitting on their powdered ass, smelling of methane and, I don't know, him from Calvin Klein uh, in their nice suits, <laughs> thinking about what they can buy next. And now they're starting to notice that in the microbrew craft beer market, there's stuff that we'll start having a bit of a return. So people get all upset when you get these um, mergers and these acquisitions, but this was happening early on. People started, or the people who were in the know started to look, and by people in the know, I'm not talking about craft breweries, I'm talking about investors started to see this happening, started coming down the road in 2010. And 2011, well, actually, no, one last thing in 2010, Gordon Biersch merged with Rock Bottom. Because they were all purchased by Centerbridge Capital Partners. So when you say it's like rock bottom, yes, it's literally like rock bottom. They're all the same company now. Well, okay then. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back full circle. But in 2011 is when the first big acquisition of a craft beer happened, which was Goose Island. Uh, Goose Island was the first, quote-unquote, shocking, where everyone went, holy shit, Goose Island sold out. And everyone lost their minds. Uh, was 2011, and that's kind of what started the avalanche. Um, since then, we had a number of things start to happen. Um, well, side note, Craft Brew Alliance, you know, Kona, Red Hook, and all that, already had a 42% stake in, in Goose Island. So that it's almost like they dipped their toe in the water and then said, yeah, buddy, let's buy the whole thing. Uh, 2012. North American Breweries, remember them, right? Yes. North American Breweries, bought out by 
Florida Ice and Farm Company. It doesn't. I mean, it sounds like a joke, right? It sounds like a bunch of farmers going, "Hey, can I buy that? Cool, right on. Hey, I'll take it. Cool." I mean, it kind of makes sense, like a farm company, because most breweries they have like partnerships with sure. different farms that they send all their spent grain to, and then sure. it helps feed farms or whatever. I don't know what an ice and farm company does. I, I don't. But I, it's. I, I no could idea. see some kind of relation. Well, that one is actually a subsidiary of KPS Capital, which is a Costa Rican company. Um, they paid $388 million to buy North American breweries, and this is just two years after North American breweries bought Independent Brewers United. So you can kind of see you know, things are starting to consolidate a little bit now. Now the people who have bought something are like, okay, now that we have these assets, let's sell it off. So you can see the, the wave of investors that kind of came in and are now getting out. Um, so <laughs> that happened, and then... Um, Terrapin Brewing, which has always been one of my favorites. I didn't know. 2012, Miller Coors bought it. 2012, Angel City was bought by Samuel Adams, the Boston Beer Company, followed in 2013 by Coney Island Brewing as well. Sam Adams goes a long way towards trying to say, hey, we're just a craft beer company. We're one of the originals, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, they act like a macro brew company a little bit and then get annoyed when people don't view them as... A craft brew company. As craft, yeah. It's like, oh, we're craft. No, you're not. Yeah, no, <laughs> you ain't craft. No, you're not. Yes, I am, guys. I swear. I read a very interesting article about how, uh, is it Greg Coke? No, no, that's uh, Stone. Whoever the uh, the owner of um, Sam Adams is hates IPAs. Just absolutely hates IPAs. And it took him a long time. I think Rebel was the first one they, they got into, which was like two years ago, three years ago. Um and he just hated them, refused to do them, and then had to cave to, like, well, we're we're really shitting the bed here. Uh, we're, we're being Carlos Erwin Estevez here. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. Like, the, what is it, the Sam out of the Rebel IPA or whatever, that's got to be probably one of my least favorite IPAs I've ever had. Well, yeah, they put no effort into it because yeah. he hates it. It's like if, but I mean, if you're gonna do it, might as well like do it right or something. Don't make them as terrible as like yeah, everything you, else you offer. You know, what the, uh, have you tried an IPA from Budweiser, or, or like an Anheuser Busch IPA? Because they do have them. I can't remember off the top of my head what the name is. Like from Netflix actual Budweiser, or just from one of the companies from one. Well, of the no, but they they, they have. Um, oh, I can't remember the name. Like part of their because you know you have each brand has its own lineup, and Budweiser right. has under. It's lineup a IPA, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head, um, but it's terrible. And, and Samuel Adams, as much as they like to say, hey, you know, they show pictures of him walking through the uh, the brewery, and they're like, all of them are playing like you know grab ass together and having a great time, and blah blah blah. He hates IPAs, and if he hates IPAs, they're not going to make a good IPA because. They're not a craft beer company. They are a macro beer company who are in the the guise of a not macro beer company. So, um, you know, I mean, it's and and they've obviously found a lot of success. Um, You know, I'm not not throwing shit at uh, Samuel Adams. Um, Oh, it's all Goose Island, huh? Well, it might be that they've they've uh, switched over to Goose Island. I don't know. Like, I feel like they they for a for a hot minute, they had a IPA. For those of you watching at home, uh, Otter flashed me a uh, picture of Budweiser IPAs. They're all uh, Goose Island. 
Uh, <laughs> well, I was, I was trying to Google the Budweiser IPA that you were talking about, and yeah, I don't. Uh, you know what? Boy, could I not find that? Yeah, well, I could be completely off on that. That's that's kind of a hazy memory that I feel like I had once, and maybe it's disappeared off into the nethers. <laughs> but um, 2014, things started to pick up again. Duvel started to make some more moves. Uh, Bot Boulevard, who makes fantastic beers. Uh, AB InBev, 10 Barrel, out of Bend, Oregon, uh, purchased them. And at the same time, bought Blue Point Brewing in Long Island that same year. And then 2014 rounds out with Green Flash buying Alpine. I kind of feel, and tell me what you think, I feel that Green Flash buying Alpine was the first case of actual craft breweries merging. Would you feel that'd be a... a, a, I'd say that's an accurate statement. Right? Because at the time that I saw that that happened, I kind of felt the same way that... I've always been a big fan of Alpine. Green Flash is still Green Flash, though, right? Yeah. They're not owned... Okay. Yeah, Green Flash is just Green Flash. So, um, yeah, I kind of felt that that was a, a merger of... But... Keep in mind, though, that there is a uh, limit on the number of barrels produced each year by the Craft Beer Association um, about what you know what it is <laughs> that makes you craft beer. Right. So we're gonna we're we're getting low on time here, so I'm gonna go through these all real quick. Uh, Elysian, 2015. Elysian was bought by AB InBev. Oscar Blues uh, actually sold out. I'm just gonna go through the the things that stuck out to me. Oscar Blues is not owned by Oscar Blues. Owned by Fireman Capital Partners. Abita, which makes Turbo Dog, one of my favorite beers of all time, also makes Purple Haze, based out of Louisiana. Enjoy. They also make really good root beer. Abita does? Abita. No, I've not had their root beer. I am down for that. I'm down for anything Abita makes. That's a great brewery. Uh, owned now by Enjoy Beer. 2015 was also the year Firestone Walker sold to Duvel. 2015 was a, uh, a tectonic moving year for uh, sellouts. Yeah, 2015 and 2016, really. There's yeah. A There's lot of, a lot, lot went of down. going on. And then you got a string of things that happened at the end of 2015. Golden Road sold to InBev, which no one was surprised by. Um, Lagunitas sold 50% of their stake to Heineken, which everyone freaked out about and thought, well, no, it's going to be okay. Uh, St. Archer sold out to Miller Coors, which St. Archer is basically the Golden Road of Miller Coors. Um, and they announced that the day after Lagunitas sold. Ballast Point, this is the biggest thing to me of 2015, $1 billion for their beer side. Uh, you mean just that little amount of pocket change? Yeah, just uh, I got that on my couch. <laughs> yeah. uh, not the whole company, not the distillery or anything else. Just, just the craft beer. Just, just the, the beer. beer. $1 billion with a B. Um, and then in 2015-16, uh, InBev bought a bunch of one. Uh, Breckenridge, Four Peaks, Devil's Backbone. Uh, 2017, they bought Wicked Weed, which freaked everybody out. And after that, they said, and this is the most interesting thing to me, come out of AB InBev recently, after uh, Wicked Weed, they're like, well, we're not looking to buy any more craft breweries. Uh, is that right? I, I don't know if I buy it. I don't know. I'm not buying it, but uh, whatever. So um, let's see, anything else here to look at? Um, well, when they had said they're not looking to buy any more breweries, when when was it that? Because remember we we talked about that that big layoff that they did. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? Right around the same time, maybe they 
Because they were probably just like, oh, you know, that was about a month, two months after, yeah. So it might be that we're buying all these breweries and like we gotta we gotta figure out what we're doing over here. Might be some consolidation there. I mean, they're probably they'll probably go back to you know buying up every brewery they can at some point. But right now they're probably just trying to figure out how to maintain, manage, and well, think about it though. All the ones they have within basically two and a half years, they bought Breckenridge, Four Peaks, Devil's Backbone, Carbatch or Carbach, however you say it, and Wicked Weed. They bought five breweries. On top of everything else they'd already brought for their yeah. craft beer division within like two and a half years. So they True. so they here's kind of what I feel. They say they're we're not looking to buy any more craft breweries. That's great. Um you're gonna have a lot of investors since they're a publicly held company saying, Okay, great, well they're not doing any more expanding. Um this is a time where they're just gonna have some growth and not do any outlay of capital, right. blah, blah, blah. Go two years down the road, two and a half, three years down the road, they're gonna start buying up again, if it makes sense. Which I kind of feel it probably will. We'll see. Um, I don't feel like this is their last foray. I feel like we're not looking to buy more craft breweries, comma, or rather, dot, 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 now. <laughs> you know, like they'll be back At in this the arena. Time. <laughs> they'll be back in the arena. So uh, since then, though, there's a number of different things that happened. Lagunitas bought up a bunch of shit after Heineken bought them, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Cigar City was bought by the Fireman Capital Partners that we mentioned earlier. Um, things started to kind of consolidate a little bit. Uh, Millicores buys, they bought into Terrapin Brewing early, and now they bought into them completely, as well as bought completely Revolver Brewing. And uh, Brooklyn Brewery, that one of the first Japanese purchases by Kirin 2016, followed by Anchor, which we talked about in an earlier draft, by Sapporo in 2017. And then the last thing that happened is, you know, actually, I'm going to point out one quick thing here on my list. The brewery in Orange County did not know that they had sold out a major stake to their their company, to Castanea Partners. So out of five seats on the board for the brewery down in Orange County, three of them are, are filled by people who are not brewery people. They're, oh, they're wow. people who own it now. And I did not know that. That that was not that was kind of something that snuck under the radar in craft beer news uh, was that purchase right there. Yeah. Because so. yeah, I, I didn't hear any talk about that. Wait, wait. Hold that thought. Last one's coming in. Coming in hot. Final round. Never mind that shit. Can you blow me where the Panthers is? Get off the stage, you talk bastard! <laughs> What's that a drop from, do you know? Uh, trailer Park Boys. Uh, I started watching a little bit of that recently. <laughs> uh, bubbles cracks my shit up, <laughs> dude. Uh, anyway, so that that's kind of uh, Anchor Cell to Sapporo, and then Funky Buddha sold out to Constellation also in 2017. And that's kind of the list of... But it's interesting to see how... It kind of like goes, goes, goes. Then all the investors jump in, and they sell like it, it's. It's kind of yeah. been fascinating to watch how the market moves because people get all pissed off about like, oh, sell out, sell out, sell out. Oh, this person's owned by AB and Bev now. Dude, I'm not going to drink that anymore. I mean, it's people have been selling out since the mid '80s, man. I mean, yeah. It, it, there's so much movement, and look, that list that we went through. One, it's not as much as I even wrote down on this, and two. What I wrote down isn't as much as what's out there. And I can guarantee that article by VinePair didn't cover everything as well. Right. I mean, so there was a lot of movement in the craft beer industry. So we all need to take a step back and drink a good beer and say, you know what? 
good beer. Absolutely. His Starship Earth is a great beer. That that it is. So, I've always been a big fan of the artwork that the artwork and the look that the modern times cans have. Well, you know what? Something I noticed, uh, you know, looking up all the stats on this beer for beer of the day. So they have kind of their normal, like very, like simple. the white can with the brown and the yeah, yellow. I don't like want to say boring. It's not boring. It's simple. Yeah, it's simple and minimalistic, and you know, stark or whatever. All these seasonal ones are the ones that have these more interesting cans. Right. Yeah. And this is the first of those interesting cans I've had. Normally, I go Fortune. I'm I'm a Fortune Islands guy, and uh, this is amazing. This is great. I would say uh, nice cans. <laughs> nice cans. <laughs> I used to have something for that. I don't have any more. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, um, we'll be back again. Draft 10. It's been a great draft nine. Thank you for listening. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening in. Uh, again, anything you've missed in the past, we have boozeleague.com. Also check out our Instagram and Twitter at boozeleague uh, for all our drafts that you've missed or ones that you're going to listen to in the future uh make sure to su- subscribe to us on itunes and iHeartRadio. and yeah cheers all right cheers everybody thanks for listening we'll talk to you soon <laughs>